Sigmund Freud, I don't know if you knew this, was a, a fan of Charles Darwin and his theory that, that life arose, all life arose from violent competition, that is, envy. Freud postulated that religion arose from the very same thing, the same dynamic. Darwin had conjectured that men originally lived in hordes, each under the domination of a single powerful and jealous male, kind of like the locker room in, in junior high. In 1913, in his book Totem and Taboo, Freud explained a vision which he believed uh, explained the origin of all religion. Freud writes, and I quote, the father of the primal horde, since he was an unlimited despot, had seized all the women for himself. His sons, being dangerous to him as rivals, had been killed or driven away. One day, however, the sons came together to kill and devour their father, who had been their enemy, but also their ideal. Freud conjectured that this was this primal uh, jealous deed was the beginning of all religion. In the beginning was the deed, wrote Freud. The primal father at once feared and hated, revered and envied, became the prototype of God himself. Now Freud argued that each clan represented this father God with a totem, a totem that uh, usually was an animal, like a lion or a lamb. He writes, quote, the totem feast was the commemoration of the fearful deed. He argued that Christian communion is the perfect example. You know, I don't think Freud really saw the heart of our father. However, I do think he may have seen his own heart pretty well in the heart of man, Adam. For several weeks, we've been preaching through a scene in John chapter 9 and 10. You remember, with spit, with a sloppy, wet kiss, Jesus heals this man that was born blind. And now the religious leaders don't like it, they're blind. They can't see the good. They're blinded by sin. Trying to make themselves good, they hate the one that is good. I think they're jealous. Jealous. Verse 16, Jesus says, So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. No one takes his life from him. So if someone does take his life, it's only because he already has given his life, has forgiven his life. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is, he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Jesus is in the temple at Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. It commemorates the dedication of the temple after it was defiled by the Greeks, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, in the second century BD. The menorah is a remembrance of the eternal flame, the light that is to flood the temple upon its consecration. Verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. I wonder if they, they could ever be part of his flock. I mean, I wonder if the Father would give them to him and make them part of his, his flock. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Two persons, one thing. The, the, the word one is in, in the neuter in the Greek. Like two persons, one substance. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Remember, this is at least the second time this has happened. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good, callous, beautiful works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. You, being a man, make yourself God. Now, that is a fascinating statement in the Gospel of John, because you remember what he said at the very start of the Gospel of John in the, in the, in the, in the prologue. We, we read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not man making himself God. He's God making himself man. The process will soon be complete as he bears the sins of the world and cries from the ancient tree, it is completed, finished. He's God making himself man. Well, then who is man making himself God? Todd's raising his hand. Right, us, Todd, us, all of us. And these religious guys that are talking to Jesus, they're accusing him of their very own sin. Remember what the serpent said in the garden? Take, grasp the fruit from the ancient tree and make yourself in the image and likeness of God. Grasp and hang on to equality with God. He tempts Adam and Eve to jealousy. Jealousy of God, the Father. Why would we want to make ourselves God? That's easy, right? God owns everything. So we're jealous of God. 
But only one can, can own everything, right? That's, that's why we're jealous of God. To try to own everything is to try to make yourself God. And there can only be one God. You know, whenever you're jealous, maybe you're really jealous of God. Trying to make yourself God because God owns everything. And what? You want to own everything. But you know, people that try to own everything seem to have a really hard time enjoying anything. <laughs> you know, uh, the things I really enjoy are all gifts. They come by grace. Well, God owns everything, and God can do anything. That means he's best at everything. Only one can be best. So trying to be the very best is trying to make yourself God. There can only be one God. To make yourself God is to beat every other potential God. To compete at everything is to try and beat everyone, and then you see you can love no one, for everyone has become your enemy. So you see, the first really are last at love. God owns everything. God can do anything. God is more glorious than anyone. Only one can win the beauty pageant. Only one can be most glorious. Only one is worthy of all praise. So, so to be jealous of anyone's glory and praise is to be jealous of God, for all praise belongs to him. That's what we say, all praise. To make yourself most glorious, you must make everything else less glorious. In order to win the beauty pageant in your heart, you must make everyone else uglier than you. And your world becomes ugly. To make yourself best, you make everything else worse. To make yourself first, you make everyone else last and least. And Jesus said, well, you know, whatever you do unto the last and the least, you do it unto me. To own everything, you end up killing everyone, even the Messiah. A couple of Texans were trying to impress each other with the size of their ranches. One asked the other, well, uh, what's the name of your ranch? The other fellow replied, the Rockin' R, A, B, C, Flying W, Circle C, Bar U, Staple four, box D, rolling M, rainbows in, silver spur ranch. And the first fellow said, shooey, that's some name. How many head of cattle do you run on your ranch? And the second fellow said, uh, well, not many. Seems that very few can survive the Brandon. <laughs> very few can survive the branding own everything and everything dies. Whenever I'm jealous of another's possessions, abilities, or glory, you see, I think I'm really jealous of God, trying to make myself God. And when I make myself God, I crucify the Messiah, and everyone dies, and everything turns into hell, and I, in fact, turn myself into a child of the accuser. The devil. Because you remember what Jesus just said to those religious leaders? 
those Jews in chapter 8, you are of your father the devil and you are seeking to kill me. Well, of course, Jesus is God. God owns everything. God can do anything. God is more glorious, more popular than anyone. I mean, God gets all the girls, right? He gets the bride. So maybe old Sigmund Freud was, was on to something, Matthew 15 and, or Mark 15 and Matthew 27. Remember, this is what scripture says. Pontius Pilate perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. Out of envy. Well, Pontius Pilate would know envy, wouldn't he? So God owns everything, can do anything, is more glorious than anyone. I mean, God gets what he wants with just a word. And so, of course, we want to be God. We'll apologize. The day a monkey comes out my butt, then you get your sorry. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence! Because that's today. Hey, Great movie. And I trust that you've seen that movie. If you did, you know Bruce gets what he wants, but it turns out that he doesn't want what he gets because he doesn't know what's good. God gets what he wants with just a word. And Jesus is that word. And so jealous of God, we take the word. And we crucify the word, and yet the word is the good. God is good. Well, God gets what he wants, and it turns out we want hell. And perhaps we get what we want when we make ourselves God. In her book, It's All in the Playing, Shirley MacLaine explains about the moment that she kind of came to her new age realization. She writes, if I created my own reality, then I created everything I knew. If that was true, then I was everything as the ancient texts taught. I was my own universe. Did that also mean I had created God, life, and death? Was that why I was all there was? A chilling wave of loneliness rippled through me. Well, I would think so. I mean, that lie that I created God is like, that's the doorway to hell. Doorway to hell. Well, Jesus is God, 
and God is God, is God stuck in hell? Is God alone? No, no and no. For God doesn't try to make himself God, God is God, and God is not alone. God is not one enormous, gigantic, selfish person. He is three persons, one substance, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each serving the other in love. God is love, writes John. So that last movie clip showed you what God can do. This clip reveals what God does do and who he truly is. Oh. Yeah, Dad. Oh, good. God is love. And you know, we think we want to be God. But on second thought, not so much. Maybe not. Well, to try and make yourself God is the essence of sin. Deuteronomy 4, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven alone and on earth beneath. There is no other. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod says something and the people of Tyre and Sidon, they respond that he's God. And Herod does not give God the glory, but he makes himself, it's like, just kind of, sort of, makes himself into God and immediately an angel of the Lord smites him and he is eaten with worms. There is one God and he is a jealous God. Do not make yourself God. Next verse, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? Holy moly! I mean, did you just hear that? Did you hear what Jesus just said? Did you hear that? Is it not written in your law? That's like your scripture. And he points out it's yours, like it's addressed to you. I said, you are God's. He's quoting Psalm 82. In the Hebrew, uh, the word for, for God's is Elohim. In, in the Greek here, uh, it's from the word theos. So I mean, God means God, God's means God's. So check this out. Jesus, who is the word of God, quoting scripture that cannot be broken, in more scripture that cannot be broken, says to people trying to kill him that he previously called spawn of the devil, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, 
Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated, dedicated, and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He, he, he had said that they can't believe, but then he like commands them to believe. I wonder if one day they will believe. I mean, bow the knee before the son and confess him and believe. And yet, even if they do, how could Jesus refer to them as gods? Or refer to anyone as gods? Well, some people think that Scripture can be broken. And so they kind of find a way to explain this away. Like, we didn't really mean that. So, you know. uh, some people argue that Jesus was just being like a sarcastic smart aleck. Um, uh, doing some kind of play on words, but he, but he didn't really mean it. Some people argue that Psalm 82 refers to angels as, as if angels are gods, and, but, but we judge angels one day. Some people say, um, well, no, it's ancient Israelite judges. These dudes are Israelite judges. But Psalm 82 says, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. And Jesus says it refers to those to whom the word of God came. Well, that's Israel when they received the law on Mount Sinai. And that's these guys because the word of God is standing in front of them on Mount Zion. And that's us if, in fact, the word of God came to us on Mount Calvary. God's. You know, it wasn't Satan that came up with that whole image and likeness of God thing, right? You know who that was? That was God. In the beginning, he said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. You know, we sing, there's none like you. And I think God would say, well, you know, I appreciate the humility, but actually um, there is uh, some like me, and that's, that's supposed to be you in my likeness. Well, you know, Jesus is the complete likeness, the finished likeness, image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. According to Scripture, we're, we're still being born, still being begotten, still being created in the image of our Father, the image and likeness of God, but not Jesus. Father Vincent Donovan was a missionary to the Maasai tribe in Tanzania. Quoted him a few weeks ago about spit, remember? Well, he taught and, and he wrote this. Man is God appearing in the universe, he said to the Maasai. Man is God appearing in the universe, appearing visibly in the midst of all he created. Well, that changes the meaning of man, doesn't it? I can see you Maasai shaking your heads and saying, no, man is not God. We know man and he is filled with evil. He fights, he kills, he destroys, he does everything to separate others and to separate himself from them. Well, I say to you Maasai, you have not known man. You have never seen a man. Creation is not yet finished. What you see is creation groaning and moaning even until now.
yearning to be finished and completed to be the body of God. But suppose the fullness of time had come and the work of God was perfect and there appeared a man who was perfectly a man according to the plan of God, a man completely human. If once upon a time there was such a man who was so completely a man, so perfectly human, then there would be no other way to describe him than to say this man is God. God appearing in the universe. Isn't that so? Jesus was that man. Perhaps the really surprising thing that the man Jesus did in his lifetime was to show us not only what God is, but what man is. That's, a, that's an amazing quote. Well, we do know this. The devil tempted man to make himself in God's image. But from the beginning, God willed to make man in his own image. The devil tempted man to make himself in God's image, but God had always willed to make man in his own image. You know, when we believe the lie that God is not good and become jealous of God and so try to make ourselves in his image, it is the very essence of evil. But when we believe the truth and thus trust God's heart, God makes us in his own image and I think, well, gosh, that is like the very essence of grace. Well, Jesus doesn't just say image and likeness of God, does he? He says, he says God's. And there's only one God. Scripture says it over and over again. There's only one God. But, but what if that God was in us? John tells us that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And then he tells us that we must be begotten of God. Well, the only way that we could be begotten is if the only begotten was begotten in us, right? And check this out. Scripture says that Christ is our life. We have his mind. Uh, we receive his spirit, which becomes one spirit with our spirit. He gives us his, his body and his blood, and we become his body and blood. I mean, gosh, what else is there? Paul writes, um, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Wow. And Christ is God, so Christ in me is, is God in me. Ephesians 4, listen to this. One God, Paul writes, and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all, that God may be all in all, 1 Corinthians 15. And remember, it's Hanukkah. John chapter 10, it's, it's Hanukkah. Jesus is God's temple. And he says that he's consecrated. Jesus is God's temple and we become God's temple filled with eternal fire and light and God is light. God glorifies us with himself. Isaiah 48, God gives his glory to no other, but in the revelation we shine with God's glory. It's not because God gave his, his glory to some other, it's because God gives himself to us and he becomes glorious in us. We're his temple, his body, his bride. And check this out, Colossians 1.19, listen to this, this is so cool. In him, writes Paul, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Ephesians 3, same author, Paul writes, may you be filled with all the fullness of God. 
That's like Jesus. John 17, Jesus prays, I ask, Father, that they may all be one, just as you, uh, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, I in them and you in me. You love them, Father, even as you love me. I mean, it's like Jesus is pulling us into the very heart of the Trinity so that his Father is our Father. We're sons too. We're daughters too. Many persons, one substance. Listen to 2 Peter 1.4. We become partakers of the divine nature. You know, the early church fathers who read scripture in, in, in their mother tongue, they called it theosis, the deification of man. Saint Irenaeus wrote this, the word became man and the son of God, son of man, so that man might become a son of God. Saint Athanasius wrote, he was made man that we might be made God. Saint Thomas Aquinas wrote, he assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. And now please listen closely. I do not want to be burned at the stake. That's a drag. And I do not want to be smoten and eaten by worms. That's even worse. And so let me say that... Uh, I really don't know exactly what, what all of this means and what exactly we are, but that's okay because it appears that John didn't either. Listen to 1 John 3. He writes this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. <laughs> not exactly sure. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. We shall see him as he is. And so you see, what I, Peter Hyatt, most truly am is this glorious mystery hidden in God. And what I, Peter Hyatt, am most truly like, I, I can know this, I, I do know this, what I, what I am most truly like is Jesus. And Jesus said, you are God's. And I think he said it to the same guys he also said, your father is the devil, the father of, of lies. It's, it's, see, it's like there are two voices and two me's, the one that listens to the lie and the one that listens to the truth. The old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit, the vessel of wrath and the vessel of mercy, the spawn of the devil and the child of God. The goat that must go in to the eternal fire and the sheep that is the very life of God, the Lamb. The old Adam and the new Adam. The old Adam is the Adam that I try so desperately to make into the image of God. And the new Adam is Jesus. The Adam God makes in his own image with himself. And old Adam and a new Adam, and I. I watch one die, and the other one rise from the dead. Twice scripture says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ, who is the eschatos Adam, will all be made alive. At the cross, Jesus dies my death and gives me his life, God's life. 
This, this is Psalm 82, okay? This is Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. What's he talking about? Where is that judgment? I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall as one man, O princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. You know, according to, to John, the judgment, which would be this judgment, happened on Mount Calvary at the cross. Where Jesus did not make himself God, but he died in order to make you a God. I mean, in God, of God, filled with all the fullness of God, the sanctuary of God, the divine counsel. Wow. See what that means, though? It means there's no point in my being jealous of, of anyone. My old man has been judged. He's already lost. And my new man has already won. And I, whatever I am, am watching him rise within me. I'm watching him experiencing my own creation. I am being born from above. And check this out. It appears that God is more interested in making me a God than I am interested in making myself a God. So there's no point in being jealous of God or anyone. For God is jealous for me. My God is a jealous God because he's jealous for me. He wants me to be like him. So he's not jealous like Peter Hyatt gets jealous because I'm small and trivial and insecure and spiteful. You know, you cannot damage God's ego like you can damage Peter Hyatt's ego. He's not uptight over his identity or stingy with his godness. In fact, the very essence of God and godness is to give himself away. God is love. And Jesus is the revelation of God. Philippians 2.6, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to. You see, he's the perfect Adam, equal with God, and yet he constantly gives his godness away. He's the gift of God. The gift that is God. And so, if, if you're jealous of God, yeah, you kill God and you make yourself a child of the devil. But if you worship God, you receive God as a gift and God will make you a child of God. Well, the truth is we've already been jealous of God. We already killed God, and yet that's where we see God and worship God. On the cross, we took his life, 
and yet he forgave his life to us. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." On the cross, we took his life, and yet he forgave his life. So God owns everything. But on the cross, he gave everything. So so, so Paul writes to the Corinthians, why are you guys jealous? All things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. God can do anything, but on the cross he did nothing that you might do everything. Paul writes, in him I can do all things. God is more glorious than anyone, but on the cross he emptied himself to be glorified in everyone. God gets what he wants, and what he wants is you, his bride. God is love, and on the cross he gave himself to you. He's jealous for you. And once he has you and you have him, you will receive all things with him like a God. Well, Sigmund Freud was right. On the cross, the ancient tree, jealous men took the life of God for they wanted to make themselves God. And you see, that's religion human religion. But on the cross, God gave those jealous men his heart, for he wanted to make them in his own image, and that's grace. It's the sloppy wet kiss that causes us to see and turns us into sons, the image and likeness of our Father, the Lord God. Joe Bailey Loved his uh, son, Tim. It's one of my favorite stories. Joe was a friend of a friend, but Joe loved his son, Tim. Sons can be insecure and so jealous of, of a good father and then crush that father's heart, and Tim did. He left home, left the faith, moved into a commune in an old house in Chicago. Tim broke Joe's heart. Well, one night around 11, Joe got a call. A voice on the end of the line said, uh, Mr. Bailey, uh, we have your son. He's been arrested for a DUI. We have him here in jail. And so Joe got up and got in the car and drove a half hour into that bitter night to that town where the person said they got the call from and he uh, walked into the jail and, and looked for Tim and the people there said, well, we don't know of any Tim Bailey. And so Joe thought, well, I must have heard wrong. And so he got in his car, he drove to the next town and then the next town and the next town and the next until finally at four in the morning, uh, he decided to drive to that old house in Chicago where Tim had been sleeping. And when he got there, the, the door was unlocked. And so he let himself in 
bodies were strewn across the floor. In the darkness over on the other side of the room, he saw him. And so he carefully stepped around the bodies, walked over to his boy, sleeping in a sleeping bag strewn across an old dirty mattress, and then moved with compassion and with longing. He bent down, descended. So as not to, to wake him, he kissed him ever so gently upon the cheek, then stood up and returned home. In the months that followed, Tim started visiting his parents. And then he started attending church with them. And then he recommitted his life to Christ. And then one day he told his father that he was going into the ministry. Sometime later, uh, before uh, Joe died, one day when Joe and Tim were on a, on a walk, at the, at the right time, Joe stopped him and he said, Tim, what was it? What was it that brought you home to me? Tim looked at his dad and he said, Dad, you mean you, you don't remember? You, you don't know? Uh, dad, do, do, you remember, do you remember that night when you got that call from the officer saying that I was in jail? Well, Dad, that was my friend's. It was a prank. And when you showed up at that house at four in the morning, well, Dad, I wasn't sleeping. I only pretended to be asleep. You see, I wanted to see, I wanted to see what you would do after all that I had done to you. And Dad, all you did was walk over in the darkness and kiss me ever so lightly on the cheek. Dad, it was the kiss that brought me home. It was the father's kiss that brought the prodigal son home. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's the kiss that produces the image of God, not our works. It's the kiss that brings you back and makes you in your father's image and likeness, and this is the kiss. We literally broke our father's heart and took his life. And yet he gave his life. He forgave his life. And with his broken heart, he brings you home. And with his kiss, he shapes you in his image. And so on the night that we delivered him up, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. See, see, look, see. You don't have to be jealous of him. He is jealous for you. He has done, will do, is doing everything.
for you. So come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cups are wine, the light cups are juice. And Jesus said, this is my blood. The life is in the blood. He's giving himself to you. Believe the gospel and worship. Don't leave. Worship. You love us. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love. Oh, Lord, let us sink into our hearts you love us oh how you love us oh how you love us oh how you love close your eyes Are you jealous? Is there anyone that you'd rather be? Search your world. Maybe it's a movie star. Maybe it's the rich guy up the street. Maybe it's your cousin. Maybe it's your dad. Is there anyone's life that you would rather have? You see, I think the Lord would ask you this question. Why are you jealous? It's because you do not realize who you are. And you do not realize who I am. I am giving myself to you. I am telling you your story. And there is not a better story. And so please, don't be jealous. I am jealous for you. And on your behalf, you're mine. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.